Hey, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. You know, that video uh, is really a great uh, example of the reality of just how pervasive anxiety is. And we're going to be spending a few weeks here just kind of talking through and walking through the idea of anxiety and stress and how it hits us in all these different places and spaces of our lives. And so I look forward to hearing more of those real stories from real people uh, throughout the next three weeks as we dive into this topic. My name is Ryan and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. I want to say thank you for tuning in and being a part of this broadcast this week, whenever you're watching it, wherever you're watching it. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to connect and be together digitally. Listen, we are living in an age of anxiety. Right? There's just no two ways about it. Uh, I read something like 260 million people are diagnosed with anxiety. And it's just the reality that anxiety is the great equalizer, right? It's going to hit all of us. And there's these major areas in our lives that produce uh, anxiety, that produce a way in which we perceive and understand our lives and ourselves. So we all have these factors that we experience. And some of the big factors that speak into our levels of anxiety are things like our family history. Uh, did we grow up in a family that had tools and, 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 and systems that could help us navigate the big emotions of life? Did we have words for things like sadness or loneliness? Did we have words for grief, right? Were we taught how to navigate those things? And, or were we taught to avoid them, to hide them, to push them away, to not experience the pain of those kinds of dark, very real, very big emotions? And if we didn't have those tools, then the reality is uh, we kind of repress it but it just kind of comes back and the body kind of manifests uh, a way to process those things with something called anxiety. You know, the school system, like our own school system, our education system is a, a source, a way in which kind of we build anxiety. When you think about it, uh, there's a lot of pressure inside of our schools as we grow up. There's social pressures to conform and there's academic pressure to be a high achiever. And when you couple that with the fact that you know around 20% or so studies show 20% of students really aren't wired for the way our education system works. Uh, you know what? After years and years and years of being in an environment that you're not wired for with those kinds of pressures, we just begin to internalize it. We start to think, hey, there's something wrong with me. Another like real genuine space of anxiety, uh, something that produces uh, our response is religion. You know, religion, while it's meant to be this opportunity to put our hope and our trust in something bigger than ourselves, it can also transmit some very basic wrongness about ourselves if we're not careful, right? Especially religion can do this around thoughts around our bodies, around our uh, who we are, the way we think, our sexuality, right? And all of a sudden, when, when we're raised with a belief system that if we think certain thoughts, we're sinners and we've done something wrong, right? It's a setup for anxiety, right? And, and religion, as much as it is meant, I think, in its best forms to provide a sense of security and stability, it can actually uh, truncate our understanding of self-trust, our ability to make decisions, to think wisely. You know, maybe perhaps 
you were raised in a, in a faith tradition that really wanted you and talked about putting your trust only in God, which is not necessarily a bad thing, depending upon how we talk about it, but it leads to statements and anxiety around making decisions, right? Well, what if I make this decision and I find myself out of God's will? It's something I hear all the time, that if we move out of God's will, then we're destined and doomed for a life of frustration, Right? And it becomes a, a very unsafe world that we live in, and it's a feeding ground for anxiety. We also live in a very media-saturated uh, culture. Right? Um, the reality is that if part of the definition of anxiety uh, really includes the sense or belief that we're just not safe, right? uh, that we could lose our job at any moment, or that we could get sick and die at any moment, then you know, the reality is culture has kind of exploited that primal need to feel safe, right? And we're always seeing uh, the possibilities and the potentials, right? We're continually on our screens. We're plugged in 24-7, right? And culture plays on that fear, right? Culture plays on that negativity and it hooks us in, right? And, and preying on the idea of the insecurity cells, right? Uh, we just can find ourselves in this vicious cycle that we start to get anxious. Well, when we want to see what's going on there, we want to stay informed. So we watch more on our screens. We stay more connected, which oftentimes produces more anxiousness in the way we feel. So while anxiety is uh, certainly a part of our existence and we're all going to face it, and it comes from these uh, different areas and arenas that we all experience, you know, there, there is a huge debate about how do you handle anxiety, right? Psychologists, pastors, priests, parents, right? How do we actually deal and think about it? Well, I think fundamentally, one thing that is somewhat problematic is that we ultimately are a people who don't understand the power of dis-ease, right? We live in a culture that is just dominated by this idea to remove all pain, avoid all pain, erase pain in all its forms, right? And so when we experience pain uh, in our bodies, when we experience pain psychologically, when we experience it emotionally, we think there's something wrong with us, right? And so we just say we've got to avoid it. We try to hide it or we try to deny it, distract ourselves from it, but never kind of face it head on. We never kind of embrace dis-ease. We just try to immediately you know, dismiss it and get rid of it because of the way we're kind of trained to always seek ease, avoid pain at all costs, right? Well, the tension with that and the real problem with that is that anxiety in and of itself, I think, is, is, is in some ways a wound, but it's also a great messenger, right? That anxiety is the wound, it's also the messenger. There's been all kinds of things written around like a sacred wound, right? Which is a wound that we, we embrace and we pour ourselves into understanding and it becomes sacred and holy because it served as a messenger to us of an area in our lives where we needed healing, an area in our lives where we were experiencing something that, that was painful, but it was a trigger, it was a clue. One of the images I like to think about as I've kind of taken a look here at anxiety uh, is this image of a, a suspension bridge, right? That takes us over kind of a chasm that feels very dangerous and very difficult. But this bridge is actually kind of a way in which we move towards wholeness, right? That our anxiety, while it might produce measures and, and feelings of fear and, 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 and we just, we can feel like the weight of it and get scared, 
it's actually an invitation into something that moves us towards wholeness. It's actually the soul inviting us into some self-examination. But if we're if we fall prey and fall into the trap of our culture and our society that just wants to avoid it, we'll never actually cross the bridge, right? And so as we think about this, right, as people of faith, what wisdom does scripture offer us? Because anxiety is a real thing, and, and I'm going to come at anxiety from this premise that there's nothing wrong with you when you feel anxious. There's nothing wrong with me when I feel anxious, that anxiety is a part of who we are, that to be whole people is to embrace that reality. But kind of what do we do with it? How do we uh, live our lives in a way that it doesn't become toxic? Because there is a difference, right? So I want to look at a passage today in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's this great story uh, of two women. And it says this, As Jesus continued, Jesus and his disciples, they continued their journey. He entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. Now, Martha welcomes Jesus in because Martha knew the importance of hospitality. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, in the Middle East, like hospitality was of uh, essential importance. And with it came stress, and with it came work. And so Martha said, I have this opportunity to show hospitality. It's my duty to do this, right? And so she welcomes Jesus in, and she immediately says, we've got to provide this hospitable environment. The text goes on and says that she had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. So the image we're starting to get here is Martha understands the importance of hospitality. Uh, she's living in this culture. And so she is busy going at work. And Mary knew the importance of the moment that she was in, knew the importance of Jesus. So she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Well, this really frustrates Martha. The story goes on and says that Martha, burdened with much serving, there's so much to that. We could talk about a whole brand of toxic religion, right? With burdened with much serving. Uh, Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. Now, Martha was doing something that we all tend to do with our anxiety, and she was playing whack-a-mole, right? So she's starting to feel these emotions, and she just starts going after things, right? And so she starts to feel the weight of hospitality. She starts to feel the weight of disappointment. What if I disappoint Jesus? She's, she's wondering all these questions, right? What do I do? What do I do? Okay. And so she starts just playing this game of whack-a-mole, right? Of looking and saying, okay, where do I, who do I blame? Surely she went to Mary and tried to get Mary to help, and Mary wouldn't have anything to do with it. She was in the midst of Jesus, right, listening and learning. So then she goes, Martha goes to Jesus, and it's like blaming him. Don't you care about me? Don't you care about what's going on? And the reality is that in all of this, Martha never thought to pause and listen to her anxiety, right? She was avoiding it trying to work, serve, blaming her sister, caught up in all these questions, right? Our minds go racing, right? I wonder if she was thinking things like, if I don't get this right, Jesus will never come back. Or what will Jesus uh, think about me if I don't get this right? Well, what's he going to think? What will people think? Maybe this was a huge mistake inviting Jesus here. Maybe I should have never done it. Maybe she just thought, I can't do this. I'm going to be the laughing stock of everybody. All those emotions started to just obsess her, all those questions, and she never thought to pause and say, why am I thinking like this? She never saw that anxiety. And so I love what Jesus says to her. Jesus just looks right at her. And he said to her, Martha, Martha, 
you know, you're anxious and worried about many things. Now, I don't think that Jesus was just talking about this moment. I think Jesus was speaking a truth into her life about her existence. I think Jesus was naming Martha's reality and bringing her to the question of why is that, right? I don't think he was condemning her. I don't think he was shaming her. I think he was simply bringing this reality forward. He knew her mind. He knew her life, right? He knew what she was struggling with, what she was going through. And, and Martha just wasn't able to see it by herself. And so he brings this up. He says, you are a person. You worry about a great many things. Why is that, Martha? And I believe there's probably a conversation going on there. But Jesus knew that the anxiety that she was feeling, the anxiousness that she was holding, was her soul speaking to her ego. That there was something deep inside of her that was trying to warn her in her anxiety. That, hey, what's going on here? Right? It was this bridge that was being offered to Martha. Like, let's take a deeper look at what's happening here, right? So we take, when I say things like ego and soul, right? The ego is this false self. It's not bad. It's just not enough. It's kind of the way we define ourselves to the outside world. It's what we believe or want others to believe about us, right? It's what we can consciously be aware of or we think we're aware of. We tend to define ourselves by these realities, right? How will people think about me? What people, will people think I'm the, the host that can do everything? Martha was probably part of Rego, so she's building that up. And Jesus is trying to draw attention to her soul, right? This anxiety that she's feeling was pointing her, was offering her a bridge into a deeper truth, right? Her soul being that true self, the eternal part of her, the divine image inside of her. And then Jesus breaks this truth down and just says this, there is need of only one thing. There's need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. I love that. Mary has chosen the better part, but there's need of only one thing. And so Jesus in this moment, he was speaking of the main thing, right? There's the main thing, right? We got to keep the main thing, the main thing. I think what Jesus was getting at was care for the soul. The care for the soul is the one thing. It was the better part. You know, there's lots of things. There's lots of things we ought to care for. We ought to care for our physical health. We ought to care for our families. We ought to care for our friends. We ought to care for all types of, we ought to care for the poor. But there's this reality that Jesus is saying, there's one thing that is a need, one thing that will that everything else will flow out of, essentially. And he was saying, Mary chose it. And that was to care for the soul. She was sitting there with Jesus, listening. Now, sometimes we hear, so the only thing that matters is Jesus, right? So when you're feeling stress, anxiety, you just need to pray. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying here. I don't think there's anything wrong with recognizing that uh, what we need in times is to care for our soul. And to care for our soul certainly includes prayer, but it also includes therapy. It includes friends. It includes experiences that help us understand what has happened to us and what we are doing to our world, what we are happening to our world, right? So I think the big point of this story is not, oh, when you feel anxiety, you know, there's something wrong with you, go pray and let God heal you. No, no, I think it's anxiety is a messenger. It's a messenger from our soul, right? The metaphysical part of us that's inviting us to examine unmet needs and unhealed places in our lives. I think Jesus is saying, Mary, or Mary, Martha, excuse me, you're, you're worried about so many things in life. Can we talk about that? Where does that come from, right? Can we care for your soul 
Like that's where this is at. So let's let's come and have some time. Let's examine that. What were the unmet needs in your life? Where are the unhealed places that your anxiety is starting to point to? One thing I like to do is try and demystify Bible words or spiritual words, right? Because sometimes what happens is we have these words in religion that get so full of otherworldliness that, that we don't really know how to deal with them, so we just mystify them. They become these super big words like grace, and we know what to do, so it's just out there, right? So I think maybe the spiritual word or the religious word for anxiety is conviction, right? When we talk about the Spirit convicting us, right? That is that, that God is showing us, revealing to us that our soul, right, the image of God in us, the Spirit, is revealing to us areas of unmet needs and woundedness, right? And when we unfortunately live in a highly moralistic understanding of sin, which I think is a very, uh, a very shallow understanding of it, we miss the brokenness, the woundedness, we miss the power of conviction, right? It's that whisper inside of us saying there's something deeper going on here. There's an invitation to care for the soul. Now, there is toxic conviction, right? Toxic conviction we would call condemnation, right? When we move away from, there are things that have happened to us. There are, there are bad things that we've experienced and there are bad things that we have done. When we move away from that to, I am bad, right? When we move away to that toxicity of condemning ourselves as not whole, condemning ourselves as there's something wrong with me. Look at how anxious I am. No, the, the anxiety, the stress can be an invitation into a deeper conviction, right? And it, conviction brings us into a place of wholeness and health. Now, there's a great book that I think kind of bridges the gap in some language that gives us good and really great insights into the wisdom of anxiety. It's called The Wisdom of Anxiety, this great book by Cheryl Paul. And I'm really indebted to her and her writing and some of these next things that I want to share with you about how do we begin in our everyday normal lives to embrace kind of uh, anxiety and to make a shift from seeing anxiety as a burden to seeing it as a gift from our soul. Right, our soul whispering to us, hit the pause button, right? So a couple things we can do. One, stop greeting our anxiety with shame and avoidance. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me when we have moments of anxiety. It's not because we don't trust in God. It's not because we don't uh, want to believe that God is present. It's that there is probably an unmet need. There's probably an unhealed wound that's deep in our lives. And the soul is saying, hey, let's not just keep moving forward in life. Let's pause and address this so that we can walk into our wholeness. Because like I said, I believe that anxiety is the footbridge into the true self that is longing for wholeness, right? So think about that. Like when we start to have that anxious response, it's a physical reality to a metaphysical prompt. The soul, the metaphysical part of us, that divine image that wants to, that wants to bring out the wholeness that is within us, the beauty that is within us, is saying, hey, wait a second, something's going on here. And it now presents this great opportunity for us to welcome it and not avoid it, but to learn from it, to let it be a teacher. And we often need a guide for that, right? And we can avoid the toxicity of anxiety. We can avoid it becoming toxic, right? By working to, to, to learn from it, to take action from it, right? Because anxiety is going to become toxic when we work to avoid it. Right? When we do the Martha thing, avoid what we're feeling, avoid it, avoid, just work, just work, just serve, just serve, just do these things, but push it away, that Western idea, avoid pain. But no, we have to embrace the dis-ease 
And then it will, in this very paradoxical way, be that thing that heals us. So I love in her book, she says, there's four kind of principles that we can start living into. And I think these are very perennial truths. We can find Bible verses for all of these things, right? And that start greeting your anxiety, not with fear, not with pushing it away, not with shame, but with four things, curiosity, compassion, stillness, and gratitude. So embrace your anxiety with curiosity. Where is this coming from? Recognize that it's your soul speaking to you. It's the divine part of you, that divine image saying, there's an unmet need here. There's an unhealed wound here. And, and what your body is doing is telling you, hey, hit the pause button. So be curious when you start to feel that. Then, and then you kind of welcome your anxiety with a bit of compassion, right? The It's okay to not be okay. I don't have to have this very harmful talk about myself, that I'm a terrible person, that I, I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm overwhelmed. No, no, no. Like just embrace it with a bit of compassion. You know, the word compassion means to suffer with, right? So suffer with your soul, right? Let your body suffer with your soul. Like embrace that compassionately, right? Don't uh, do self-talk of harm and like, oh, I don't trust God. I can't believe this. I'm a terrible person. Well, how could I be this way? Why would I think this? But embrace the compassion that, wow, as I look into curiosity, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace where I am right now and be okay with that. And I love this idea of stillness. I think the great, great kind of Bible word, Jesus word for stillness is prayer, right? To just be calm. And so when we go at a lightning pace, we can't listen to our soul. When we are moving and powering through and just powering through and pushing things to the side, we can't ever actually be still and know that God is present with us, right? That stillness, like, like Mary being still at Jesus' feet, caring for her soul. And this fourth way to uh, welcome uh, anxiety, uh, to receive anxiety, to redeem anxiety, is to have a spirit of gratitude, right? That we have to learn to be grateful for the thousands of little things in our lives, but we also have to learn to be grateful for the dis-ease, which is very strange for us in our Western world. We have to learn to be grateful for the pain that comes into our lives because those things actually strengthen us. It's in the struggles, it's in the dis-ease that we grow, right? And so we recognize and we can actually develop a sense of gratitude. I love in her book, she she brings out this reality, right? That, oh my goodness, right? There's so much we can be thankful for. And when we start to live this out, we'll actually learn to be thankful for those anxious moments in our lives because it was our soul talking to us. It was our soul speaking into us, right? And so we can start to, to greet our anxiety in better, healthier ways. And in the, at the end of the day, when we can transition away from Anxiety is a burden. It's telling us there's something wrong with us. We need to avoid it. We need to stop it. We need to get it out of our lives. We can actually kind of embrace it. We can welcome it in a healthy way. And we can recognize that we, don't, we aren't you know, condemned to a life of anxiety, but we can be informed, right? We can be informed by our anxiety. And as we do this, as we start to live it out, when we welcome anxiety, we start to do the hard work of listening, of exploring where the unmet uh, need is or the unhealed wound in our lives, and we trust that the Spirit can guide us in these places, we can experience really a great deal of serenity, 
right? Just the ability to be okay with the pain, the ability to be okay with what's out of our control, to be present, that's a sense of being whole. Uh, we can uh, we'll experience a sense of empowerment to learn from our anxiety, to not be controlled by it like Martha was. And we'll find clarity about who we are in our truest self. And so as we kind of begin this journey, right, there have been thousands, millions of books written on this. There's all types of ways. So we want to just kind of introduce, I want to just introduce this concept today that maybe we ought to recognize that anxiety is an invitation to the main thing, to care for our souls. That it's an invitation to walk with Jesus, to leverage the tools that we have around us, the gifts that God has given to us through mental health professionals, friends, books, whatever it might be, to actually pause and care for our soul. And we can walk into this space, right, knowing that we're not alone, that we're not alone. And so as you consider this, as we think about it, what's God inviting you into today? And I think the number one thing that I hope you experience today through this little talk is not all the answers about anxiety or all an aha moment, but just this truth that you don't have to walk that bridge of anxiety alone. Right? You don't have to walk it alone. If, as uh, Cheryl Paul says in her book, that anxiety is the bridge that connects ego to soul, conscious to unconscious, and when we learn how to harness the wisdom of anxiety, the richness and messages contained in the unconscious can inform and expand our conscious lives. Anxiety can inform your life, but it doesn't have to define it. You're not destined for anxiety. You know, I think that's so powerful. And we can trust that because we can trust that what is amidst our unconscious, right, that word, is God, is the Spirit of Jesus walking with us, giving us the strength to walk across that footbridge as shaky as it might seem, as scary as it might seem, into the deep places of our lives. And so as we wrap up, uh, our band has this great song for you today called Another in the Fire. And as you walk through the, quote-unquote, the fire of anxiety, right, we don't need to avoid it, we don't need to be shamed by it, we can recognize that there's one walking with us, and it's in that moment we experience, you know, metaphorically the fire of anxiety. It's actually an invitation by wisdom. It's an invitation by our souls to pause, to tend to an unmet need, to tend to an unhealed wound. And we can start to embrace anxiety as a gift from our soul, from that divine image inside of us saying, hey, there's something more for you. And that's what wholeness is. Wholeness isn't the avoidance of dis-ease, the avoidance of pain. It's the absorption of it into our lives, recognizing that it has its place in our healing. It has its place in meeting the needs that at one time were not met. So enjoy this song and open up your heart to what God wants to do in your life as you make a commitment to the one thing, caring for your soul.